Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. But I'm excited today to dive into part two of a message we started last week called Two Important Questions. And this is a part of our series, It Is What It Is, because the reason we called it this series is because James, the book of James, um, he does not sugarcoat truth. How many people, you have somebody in your life that they do not mind telling, or they have the spiritual gift of not beating around the bush. They just give it to you. Like they can't not just like almost punch you in the face, spiritually. It says like, pop. You know, they don't, they're, they're not cute. They're not like, well, you know, let me, you know, kind of do the sandwich. How many of you do the sandwich? You're awesome. You're great. But you did this, but you're great, right? So you kind of sandwich between the, the discipline or, the, or, you know, you, know you, you sandwich the discipline and the correction between compliments. James doesn't do that. James is just like, I'm coming for you. And so we called it, it is what it is. And really that simply means um, you just kind of got to accept it because it's true. And James gives us a lot of truths. And what I was praying as we were starting this series is, God, give us an appetite for truth. Give us a tolerance for truth. Because in our culture, we can have a gag reflex the truth. And my prayer is that as followers of Jesus, that we would say, God, if this is your word, I want to receive it. Though it might hurt, I know, see, here's the thing, everyone... The truth will set you free, but, it'll, but it will hurt you first. So, Lord, like my prayers has been, God, give us a tolerance for truth so we can follow in what is best. Okay? So, we're going to dive in today to the second part. Last week, we asked the first important question that James asked, which was, why do you judge your neighbor? So, if you did not get a chance to hear that yet, please go on one of our podcast forums, or excuse me, one of our podcast forums, iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud, Get the message from last week. I think it was really helpful. But today we're going to dive into the second question, which we're going to actually read together. But we're going to read the context, um, James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. Um, and then I'm pretty sure that as we read, you will be able to spot the second question, and then we'll dive in. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. James 4 says, brothers and sisters, so he's speaking to Christians, do not slander each other. So let me just tell you, that also means on social media. Just throwing that out there. Love you. That one's free. Um, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, who isn't you, uh, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, so here's the first question, who are you to judge your neighbor? The second, so now we're going to dive into the second part here where he asked the second question. He says this, now listen. You who say, so maybe you said something like this, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? Here's the second question. What is your life? Okay, James. Okay. Then he explains it. He says, you are a mist that appears for a little while. And then vanishes. It says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your what? Arrogance. Boast in your arrogant schemes. 
All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do it and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So last week I started off by talking about the power of questions. Questions have a way of getting to the root of not just our behavior, but our heart behind the behavior. And that's why a practice that Jesus had, he did like what you'll see, Jesus did not just give people many times direct commands, he gave them questions. Because questions have a way of getting past the, just tell me what to do. They get into like deep spaces in your heart, like your motive. Like not just behavior, but why you do what you do. So what you act, actually see in the, um, the writer, Martin Copenhaver brought up in his book, 307 Questions that Jesus Asked, he said this, Jesus prefers to ask questions rather than to provide direct answers. Jesus chooses to ask a question 307 times in the gospel accounts. Even if Jesus directly gives answers to as many as eight questions, that still means that Jesus is almost 40 times more likely to ask a question than he is to give a direct answer. Why is that important? Because when, when we have a question like James poses to us, and he asks the question, what is your life? It gets us to think rather than just telling us directly, your life is short, right? He says, no, what is your life? And really what I see James is doing here, James is giving us an incredible gift. Everyone say gift. He's giving us an incredible gift because it is a gift to be reminded of your finiteness. Everyone know what that, what that word means? Of your limits. It's a gift to be reminded of your finiteness and be humble. Because I think all of us act like none of our lives can change from one text message. We all act like none of our lives can change from one diagnosis. I remember a couple years back, our oldest son, Jackson, he started developing these like bumps and these like weird bruises in different places on his body. And we, you know, we said, okay, this has kind of been going on for far too long. He, he, he was getting really skinny. I mean, just looking, I mean, he was eating food, but yet he, he, he would get really hot, so he would basically lay on the floor to get cold. Just weird behavior. And so we finally said, okay, let's go ahead and take him to the doctor. We took him to the kid's doctor, and they saw this. And you know how they do the whole thing? They bring some other doctor in, but they're whispering. And then a third doctor came in, and then a fourth doctor came in. And then they tell you, hey, we're going to refer you to the Children's Hospital of King's Daughters. And you know how Google can be great. But it can also be your worst enemy. Because then you start to play WebMD. <laughs> and then everything turns out to be you're dying. Like, so we looked at what those bumps, bruises, where they were, what they could possibly lead to, why, the, why they would actually recommend this. They wanted to get blood tests done. And what they were checking for is leukemia. Yeah. That is a what is your life moment. It was a 24-hour period of sheer terror. 
of having all the questions of how is our life going to change when we get a diagnosis, right? And you have had these, these moments before, and thankfully, he had a gluten allergy. Stop giving him gluten. Started to gain some weight. Started to, all those bumps left. Wild, huh? But let me tell you, that 24 hours was some of the longest 24 hours of my life. I remember driving, me and the three boys, mom was away for a week by herself. Praise God, mom got away. Moms, where are you at? Do you need a week away? Husbands, make it happen, come on. Husbands are like, be quiet. I'm losing this battle already. Come on. Anyway, we were, we did something on the other side of the water. We were driving home Roanoke Avenue. We're, we're, we, we were about to cross over Briarfield. We're crossing over, probably going 35, 40 miles per hour. I see in the corner of my eye a car speeding, and I could tell he wasn't going to stop at the light that was red. We're like this. I stop here. He speeds going 60 miles an hour by us. We get through the intersection. We pull over. Me and the boys are silent, and if you know my boys, that doesn't happen. And literally, at that moment, we all had a realization from six years old to 11 years old, what is our life? Quarter of a second, I might not be here, two of my children might, might, might be dead or highly deformed. Who knows, quarter second, what is your life? And I share this because this isn't just my reality, this is your reality too. You know you've been there. What is your life moment? James is giving us an incredible gift today to remind us of the shortness of our life. Because here's the thing. In the United States, this is not something we get reminded of daily. Why? Because when we have comfort, when we've got conveniences, when we've got choices, when we've got a little bit of money, when we've got a little bit of control, it can be intoxicating us from the reality and the truth of tomorrow is not promised and your life is short. It is a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. Here's the thing. One of the things of being materially wealthy is that we can unconsciously drift towards what? Arrogance. And we can think we have more control than we actually have. And that's what was happening in the book of James here. He's saying some of you are there saying, I'm traveling here. I got these business plans here. I'm going to get this degree here. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to leave. I'm going to do my thing. A year here, a year there. Going to make it happen. And James is like, let me remind you, sir or ma'am. You have no control even of over tomorrow, but you are intoxicated because of your stuff thinking you've got a little bit of control. It's wild to see Americans when they lose control. Have you been to the airport when their flights get canceled and they have to stay at the airport for night? You know what is essentially happening? They're acting out the control they're so used to having. Well, I can't. You can't get a plane? Do you know who I am? I deserve a plane. Right? Y'all, if we're not careful, James talking to us. 
We get a little bit of, we get a little bit abundance, a little bit of wealth. We think we have more control than we have, and it intoxicates us to think we are in control. And it actually drifts us to thinking you might not think it, but you might sub you you might not consciously think it, but you are subconsciously living thinking you are God because you've got some control. This is why I think kids struggle when they get off of video games. This is why I limit my kids' video gaming because when they play games and they have a joystick and they are in control, when they get off of it and they realize, I'm in control, buddy, they react like hellions. They can't emotionally take it because they've just spent hours being in control. And then when they get off, they think they have control, but they have none. You're in my house, drinking my milk, eating my food, driving in my car. You ain't got no control. But we're, that's us. We get the controller. Traveling here, making money there. Ooh, yeah. And then James is like, bro, what's your life? You're you're here, the, it's gone the minute. Like, you're, you're here and, and you, you, like, but y'all, we can laugh and joke, and, but I pray you're feeling the pressure of this. Because James is trying to make his, the people he's writing to, these 12 churches that are scattered, and he's writing to them, he's trying to make them feel the pressure, and, but how they're drifting towards arrogance. But this isn't just the story of James, y'all. This is the story of the Bible. That's why you got to read the boring Old Testament stuff. I'm serious because this was the cycle of God's people. Israel, like, you think the Old Testament is this boring, yeah, why do they, you know, like, and y'all know this, y'all have done this, like, I'm going to read the Bible in January 1. January 1, one-year Bible reading plan, I'm doing it, y'all. You get through Genesis, that was a little weird, that was sounding like, a little bit like Jerry Springer, people sleeping with everybody, it's like, what the world's going on? Ex- Exodus is okay, Moses is stuttering guy, Go- yeah, that's why he's my favorite person in the Bible. You know, it's like... You know, he, he goes and frees the people, and it's kind of an encouraging story. And then you get into stuff like Deuteronomy, like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers. And then your Bible reading turns into a big halt. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to sleep in today. <laughs> right? Because you think all of that stuff is boring and worthless, but what it actually, you have to read it in context for what was happening. Leviticus is a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a bunch of... Laws, yes, but when you know the context is God was trying to take a people in slavery, bring them into freedom, and then teach them how to live free. That's why he was all up in their diet. That's why he was all up in their sexuality. That's why he was all up in the clothes they picked and chose and worn. That's why he was so particular about certain, certain things, because he was trying to shape and form a people to display and show to the world who this God was and what this God was like. So that's why he got so detailed. That's why you've, you've got stories like in Samuel, in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Judges, the prophets. Like the, 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 it's all the context of Israel's, God's chosen peoples. It's their story. And let me tell you what, like, what their story was. It was a cycle of God blessing them that led them to unrightly believe all that they had came from their hard work. All that they had came from their wisdom. All of the 
military strength they had was because of them. So then what, they, they, they were blessed, but that blessing ended up towards arrogance and pride to where then they were not focused on the giver. They were focused on the gifts that the giver gave. They were not focused on the abundance of God himself. They were focused on the abundance that they could see. So their blessing led to pride, which then led to they turned their hearts away. And then what God had to lovingly do for them is he had to lovingly correct and discipline them. Why? Because they were not going to change without a consequence. So then he typically had to have some other army, some other nation invade them and let them know you got invaded and overtaken because you relied on your own strength. He had to give them a what is your life moment. This abundance and strength you have doesn't come from you. It comes from me. And he had to remind them. Y'all, this isn't, and that's why this isn't their story. This is our story. This is our story. That's why James is writing this. Because some, some Christians got some money, got some power, had some options. They could travel. They could plan. They could do all of that stuff. And it, what it ended up doing is it ended up growing arrogance in them. For them getting what the, what the seasoned old-timers called getting a little too big for your britches. And James had to have a, hey, what is your life? I, let me remind you what you're what your life is. But even this theme is in the book of Psalms. Like we have a psalmist writing one of my favorite prayers. The psalmist said, teach us to realize the brevity. What does brevity mean? Shortness. Teach us to realize the brevity of life. Why? So you'll live differently. You'll live wisely. Because you know, when you know you don't have a lot of time, it focuses you. And y'all know this, because when you have a week until you go on vacation, you get more done in that week than you did the whole previous year. <laughs> because you're ready to, why? It's the power of focus. It's the power of a vision. It's the power of knowing. When I get out from here, let's go. I'm free. When you realize how short your life is, it no doubt helps you. It grows you in wisdom. Whose phone is that? That better be Jesus calling. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Here's, here's the thing, and you know this. Like, when you live in light of your last day, you live differently. When you live not knowing when your last day is, you live differently. And that, that's why even one of the major parts of the vision of LifeHouse is that you would leave a legacy. And the heart behind that is, and, and we say it every single week. If you come to our church, we know we consistently repeat the vision that we're hoping happens in your life, that you live with a legacy mindset. A legacy mindset means you live in light of your last day and you use whatever the Lord entrusts you and gives you and you invest it into what matters to God so there can be, so, so there can be an eternal return on investment. Because nothing you have is yours. It's all God. You're simply a steward. So when we say leave a legacy, what we're saying is, like, I pray that everyone here, like, would realize the brevity of their life. We're not promised tomorrow. And because of that, we would invest into what matters to God because it's all his anyway. But now, I do want to pause and make sure that when we're reading this, because some of you might have picked up on this. And you might be like, well, how does that make sense? Right? Some of you might have looked at this and be like, well, Okay, then we're not supposed to plan? 
right? Like, do I have to call my wife? Hey, if it's the Lord's will, I'll be home in five minutes. Um, hey, Joe, it's John here. I, um, I'll be there in, I'll be on the job site in 15 minutes. If it's the Lord's will, bye. <laughs> right, so you feel this guilt or this pressure to have to like preface any plan you make. Hey guys, we've got this five-year business plan. It's called the five-year of the Lord's will business plan. <laughs> right, like, is that what the Lord is, I, I, I don't think that's what he's saying because first off, like you see in scripture, and that's why it's important to interpret something through the totality of scripture. Context is important. So that's why you see in Proverbs, like it says, hey, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines the steps. So I see it this way. You write your plan in pencil and give God the pen. Give God the Sharpie, yeah. Give God the Sharpie or give God the pen. So this isn't saying do not plan because some of you are failing because you don't plan. You've got a lot of dreams but not a lot of steps. And you might need to wake up a little bit and put some feet to those dreams, put some feet to those prayers, and put some steps in place and actually plan it out. Even God says about himself in everyone's favorite verse, Jeremiah 29 what? 11. For the, say it louder for the people in the back. For the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and future. So we see even God himself is a planner. So this is not saying you do not plan. What this is saying is you write your plan in pencil knowing who ultimately holds the pen. And you do, see, and you know, you know this is something that we even wrestle with when it comes to worship services and gathering times like we want to do the hard work myself like I just don't stand up here and hope God gives me words it would be terrible like I have to study I have to plan I I have to like get before the Lord and be like God what do what do people need to hear today Jarvis and the worship team don't just show up hoping they make decent sounds hoping their harmonies happen Lord we're just trusting you he's like no you have a brain practice right? It is this balance of planning, but being open to what the Lord wants to do. Where I have a plan, Lord, I've come and I've given you something to work with, but if there is something you, that, that you give me the courage and the passion or kind of the, the direct insight to say, I'm going to say it even though I didn't plan it, and then I'm going to trust that somebody here needed to hear it, Right? It's this balance. So this is not saying don't plan. He's saying, hey, in your planning, you're getting a little puffed up because you think this planning and these, these business plans and this money is because of your wisdom and your power. But he says no, because even the context of these verses here, starting in chapter 4, which Brandon hit on, which said, humble yourself before the Lord so he can lift you up in due time. The context here is humility. And we're going to dive into that because... Humility is so important, but a right definition of humility is so vital because so many people abuse and misuse this word. And to me, C.S. Lewis has the best definition. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. What is C.S. Lewis saying? You have to have a right 
view of you. Where you are not too high, but it's just not about pride. It's also not about self-depreciation. And some people mask self-depreciation as being godly humility, and it's not. It's completely different, because even the thing that Jesus said, he said when he was talking about what's important, he was like, hey, love God, love others, but when you love others, love them the way what? You love yourself. So what was he saying? He wasn't, like, he wasn't saying love yourself the way our culture right now defines love yourself, which is like, you're a snowflake. There's no one like you. You're unique, and you're a butterfly. You know, and, and it's... And they can kind of, and, and then because people have, have that mentality, they kind of explain away every potential negative trait they have. I'm just trying to love myself. I, all I'm saying is that's a lot different than godly loving of yourself. Because a God, here's, here's the thing, godly love of yourself is having an accurate view of who you really are. From God's perspective. So let me say it a couple ways. First off, humility is being, like you being humble, you having humility is being fully aware of your brokenness and fully aware of your beauty in Christ. You are a beautiful mess. Er, buddy. You are a beautiful mess. And why this is awesome is because when God looks at you, he does not see all that you've done. If you are in Christ, God the Father looks at you, and he sees what Jesus did covering you. And, 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 and kind of the theological term is we have the imputed, given righteousness of Christ. Meaning, what Jesus did for us, he died, he lived the life we could not live, died the death we should have died, rose and defeated Satan's sin and death. And now because he holds the key to victory and life and he has the truth, he gives us the benefits of the life he lived and accomplished for us. So when we receive it by grace through faith, we receive a new identity in Christ to where when God the Father looks at us, he sees the beauty of Christ. Even in our brokenness. And this is what a good father or parent, a good father, mother, whatever does. I am fully aware of my son's brokenness. Jackson, are you here? He stepped out. See? Broken. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I am so fully aware of his weak areas. But man, that does not trump the beauty of that kid. He prays over me every night. Every night. And I'm just like, no matter what happens in that day, if my son is praying over me when I go to bed, it's all good. This too will pass. But then he acts like a crazy maniac. <laughs> <You know? It's> like, <laughs> right? It's, it's beauty and brokenness. That's all of us. We're a beautiful mess. But find in that right pocket, because some of you, so some of us, some of you, and I hate saying you, us, because I'm definitely included into this, us. Some of y'all get too high, and you have pride. Some of you get too low. To where you think you are God, and some of you don't even realize, like, you get so high, you think you are God, but some of you get too low and don't realize you're made in the image of God. So some of y'all need to be brought low, some of y'all need to be brought higher. 
And typically people have one or the other. You struggle with the self-depreciative feeling of whenever you make, whenever you make a mistake and you do something wrong, you can't associate what you did from your identity. So if you did something bad, you are bad. If you did something wrong, you're wrong. When as somebody in Christ, whenever we do something bad, it doesn't, what we do doesn't affect the identity we have. We are in Christ. But some of y'all are so prideful, like the Lord's like, get down here, what is your life? But some of y'all view yourself so lowly, the Lord's like, do you know who you are in me? And it's this beautiful pocket we live in as followers of Jesus. We don't get too high thinking we are God, yet we don't get too low not realizing whose image we're made in. And here's the thing. Humility is loving yourself. No, sorry. Humility is loving yourself because you are made in the image of God, but also, too, realizing your limits because you aren't God. Do y'all feel and see this beautiful pocket we live in, that we're called to live in? Not too high, not too low. And that's what I, I don't think James is saying, what is your life? You ain't nothing but a worm on the ground. No, he's talking to those who, are too, who have too much pride. He's like, hey, you need to realize you're not God. But even in chapter 3, he reminds them they're made in God's image. Do y'all see this? Do y'all hear, hear this and why this is important when we're talking about humility and when we're talking about what is your life? Because I don't want y'all walking out being like, man, Pastor John told me I suck, man. <laughs> Pastor John just said we ain't nothing. Like, what's our life? We just a mist and we just appear and we just go. It's like, what's the purpose of living then? No, don't hear that because I'm not saying that. In Christ, you're made in the image of God. So some of y'all, you, you need to let Jesus pull you higher today. Because your self-depreciation and the way you live is not declaring the glory of God because you even masks your self-depreciation as being humble. It's not humble to deny your needs. It is not humility to deny your needs. Jesus, I don't know if you remember this, after he fasted for 40 days, the scripture brings out a very cool point. He was hungry. <laughs> There's a story about Jesus was on a boat, and the boat was going wild, buck wild crazy, and the, the disciples are on the boat. We're going to die. They're like, where's Jesus? Brother was sleeping. He was taking a nap. Like, like, well, you know, he was trying to teach them a spiritual point, that even though while God's on the boat, sometimes it's going to feel like he's sleeping. But even in the storm, no, I think Jesus was tired. <laughs> Let's not spiritualize away the fact that Jesus even had needs. Jesus had limits because he was like us, 100% like us. Jesus did not dismiss his needs. And some of you are calling it humbleness when really what you're doing is, is because you don't view yourself the way that God does, you don't even view yourself as being valuable. So you'll say, well, I'm just going to love and serve others. And you'll do it to a point where then you get prideful or, or then when you love and serve people, you get mad at them because you're like, why isn't anybody realizing I'm hurting? Why doesn't anybody realize I need a break? You won't take it. Don't give the power to get restored to someone else when you got the power to just say, hey, I'm tired. I need a break. This is hard. 
I love you. I need some time off. And what is, that's actually humility because you're recognizing your limits. It's not humility to, divide, to devalue or deny your needs. Then you're a doormat. Is this good? You guys hear me? Because I know in the church, this draws people like that. And they're like, I'll just serve and serve and serve and serve. You're serve. And, and, and really what you're doing whenever you do that is you're not actually standing up and, 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 and like, you're, like you've got this worm mentality. When, when, no, what I believe the Lord would say to you today is, hey, you need to be pulled up to realize you're made in my image. And it's okay to have needs. And you can even voice those needs. And if people don't like them, it's probably because they've been taking advantage of you for so long. I'm telling you, that's what happens. When you start to speak up and, and you say, hey, you know what, man, like, I'm, I'm just really tired. Like, I really need a couple-week break. Um, mental health is, you know, da, 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 you know, and then, <laughs> you've always. Well, that's your problem. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's. It's, it's, it's actually so healthy for you to sit in that pocket of, I matter because I'm made in God's image. But I'm not going to put myself equal with God. I'm not going to be this controller and get used to that because at some point you put the controller down and realize you're not in control. You stay in this beautiful pocket of being humble. Does that make sense? When I was praying about this next part, because when Psalm 90 says like, Teach us the brevity of life so that we may walk in wisdom. And what I believe the wisest thing we could do as the people of God is to live for the mission of God. Because time is short, church. And I know people have used that to try to manipulate people. You know, where, where are you going to spend eternity? You could die tonight. I, I, like, I remember one time I was in Walmart buying bread. And this guy came up to me and he was like, hey, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? And I had like two breads in my hand. I'm trying to just like decipher which one. <laughs> I'm like, I just don't know if this is the best evangelism. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I get the heart. <laughs> I just don't know if that's the best question to ask, right? I get his heart, but I, I, I think it's important that if, if we get, you know, what is our life, we have that feeling. We also have to evaluate it is true. So if it's true, are we living as wisely as possible? And I believe living as wisely as possible is living for what matters ultimately to God. Preached a sermon a little while back called KISS, Keep It Simple Saints. Because we can, we, we, can, we can complexify this Jesus message, y'all. We can complexify this Jesus mission. We can complexify it so much to where we're doing all of these good things but not doing the most important thing. The church is guilty of this. We're guilty. Like a lot of people are guilty of it. But what you ultimately see Jesus doing and what Jesus did, the, his final words before he left earth, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said this. You can come up, Jarvis. He said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always to the very end of the age. What Jesus, in these final words here, is giving the ultimate mission and purpose of his mission which is to make disciples. 
And being a disciple is somebody that intentionally turns their life in the direction of becoming more like Jesus, not just doing good things to become a good, to become a good person. It's the intentional turning of your life to move in the direction of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry, that, 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 that came in. Like, like, we had a funeral or something? No. <laughs> um, but, but honestly, like, while I was preparing and while I was like, what can I sh-? I just had this thing of, like, I just feel like people are just so, like, bored in the church. Like, that we can just develop this mentality, like, of just... It's like it's not exciting. It's not something we can give our lives to. It's not something that stirs us. And I'm like, I think the reason why many of us are so bored in the church is because we're not on board with, with the mission of Jesus, which is making disciples. Being a disciple and making disciples. Because really, I think what our culture is intoxicating us with is saying, Make babies, make memories, make money, make it happen. And those are the things intoxicating us and drawing us away from the overarching vision that we were called as followers of Jesus to make disciples. Am I saying don't make babies? No, God said do it. Be fruitful and multiply. It's not that Jesus is saying, don't make money. He said the money wasn't the problem. It's the love of money. Jesus doesn't say, make it, don't, don't make it happen because if you're a good employee, you're, you're, you're going to grind and you're going to work hard and, and you're going to make things happen. And he's not saying, don't make memories with your kids and go on trips and stuff. He's not saying that, but is it being done with the overarching narrative and vision and purpose of your life being make disciples? And what I see hindering the church and killing the church is the fact that I feel like we have people that are being, that are being led by, captivated by, intoxicated by the American dream with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. I love what Francis Chan says when he was, and this is a great marriage book. This came from a book about marriage. So I would encourage you, even if you are married now, if you're engaged, whatever point in your relationship you're getting serious, I would highly encourage you and your spouse to read this book together. It's called You and Me Forever. And this book, it's the most gospel-centered book. It doesn't just talk about how to have better communication, how to have, you know, not to have conflict ruin your marriage or how to manage your finances. It gets into the gospel part and gospel purpose of your marriage. And this, is, and this is what Francis Chan says. He says, make disciples. Our lives should revolve around these two words. Whether as individuals or as couples, our mission is to make as many disciples as we can during our time on earth. This takes priority over everything else. So assuming you haven't done so already, you should sit down with your spouse tonight and figure out how to structure your lives around the command to make disciples. 
This command should dictate everything about your life, where you live, where you work, where you spend your money, how you spend your time, everything. You should not make a single decision, get that, a single decision without the words, make disciples factoring in. We should be constantly asking ourselves the question, how can we free up more time and resources for making disciples? I know that sounds like absolute insanity in our culture. But let me ask you this question that I think helps us frame maybe where we're at, what is the overarching narrative and vision, what is the finish line for your life. Let me do what James did and ask a question to maybe get to the root of the matter. Put that slide up, please. Currently, which vision statement is the bigger influence on your life? The American dream, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I put that by not saying you can't be happy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm thankful we live in a country where we can gather like, like we gather. We can have some of the freedoms we have, we, you know, because our world isn't the world. And a lot of things we can do here and experience here, like we're, we're blessed that we can do them. So I'm not putting this down, but I am saying if we're not careful, it will intoxicate you. Because that's what James was saying. He was like, you're being intoxicated and it's making you intoxicated into, what, arrogance and pride. So is it the American dream or the Great Commission? What is ultimately driving that? Because what breaks my heart is to see people with, with the mentality as Jesus followers. I'm not saying the world. I'm saying Jesus followers. I want to hurry up, get this third 30 years in, get it over with. I hate my job. I hate my coworkers. I just want to slave away at this job for 30 years so I can get and retire on a beach, play some golf, sip, sip some strawberry dockeries, and just rot there until I die. Y'all, that is not the command and call of Jesus as a disciple. Now, like I say, I'm not saying on, like, you know, it's like, like, when I say stuff like that, I don't want you to feel like I'm judging you, because I'm not judging you. What I'm trying to do is to spark something inside of your heart, because y'all, this is, I'm just delivering the mail. I'm, I don't write the mail. Just deliver it. And what I pray is that as we're challenged to say, what is our life? It would challenge you to say, what are your priorities? Not in your conception of what you hope or your intention is, but what do the Practical things in your life show what story you're living from. Let me see your budget. Let me see your time. Let me see where, where like where your hobby, like where, where your life goes. And my prayer is that as we've been challenged today, what is our life? That we would then maybe have to make some decisions. Because honestly, my question is some of you, and there's people in different places here. Some of you, like you're brand new. Like you need to be discipled. Like you're new in the church. You don't, you don't know a lot of scripture. You don't, you don't, like, you need to say, hey, I need to be discipled. Some of you here, like, you, you've been in the church so long, like, you are completely bored. And you're just an attender. But what I, I would say is maybe you, your call is to disciple. We've got people in our church that need someone to take them and, and not just be do what I do, but, hey, watch my life. Let's pray together. Let's study the word together. Let's get coffee together. Come over to the house. Let's have dinner. Like, let's do life together. But I think some of us are even scared to actually do that because we know what our lives are like and it's not about the Great Commission. So we're even scared to disciple. I'm sorry, I'm getting passionate. But my heart, my prayer is that you don't hear condemnation or shame. You don't hear that. What you hear is the heart and voice of 
of God's heart saying, y'all, what is our life? It's short, it's quick. Let's be about God's business while we have time because we don't know when our time's up. And I believe some of you today, you are intoxicated by, the, by getting more, having more, and it's actually eating away at your soul and your relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. There's nothing wrong with all of that. But if it's not in the context of how this is going to forward the gospel and make disciples, one of the things I just really appreciate practically is like the Jones house, right? Carrie Ann and Julia Jones got a big, beautiful house, but they've dedicated a whole room in their house to being what they deem the life group room. They even redid the room, took a pool table out, put more seating so they could be a place where disciples are made what I'm saying. What step can you take to either be discipled or be it? Do y'all hear my heart? My challenge today. Life is short. James said it's a mist. It's here. It's gone. So therefore, live in light of eternity. Live in light of wisdom. Psalmist said, life is short. Live wisdom. The wisest thing we can do is to be about the mission that Jesus gave, church. And realize that we're being intoxicated by the American dream that we would put the bottle down detox and live a new way and say, yeah, I need to either be discipled or I need to be, need to be discipled. Would you stand up with me, church? So we're going to, we're going to pray today. We're going to have some prayer counselors down front. And really today, I, I want us to go into a time of reflection time of reflection um, if you just bow your head and close your eyes because um, I believe that there's some here today as you've heard me talking about Jesus and what Jesus did for you and being in Christ having your identity in Christ some of you today need to make a decision to follow Jesus like you like you've never done that you can never go back to a moment where you have said i want to give my life to jesus and i want to give you that moment that opportunity right now the way we do it at our church we just have you say yes we believe that as you say yes in faith you open the door of your heart to have jesus come in and be the king lord and sovereign over your life so just right now with every head bowed every eye closed if that is you you say i want to i want to receive god's love and become a follower of jesus today you know, you might not know every detail of what that means. You might not know every, you know, it's not like you're joining a church. It's just you making a decision to be in relationship with the God that loves you and is crazy about you. So just with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that is you today, I'm going to count to three. When I do, would you just say yes? You can say it loud, quietly, even quietly in your heart, whatever. But if you want to make that, that we want to make that decision today, would you just say yes on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Come on. Come on. Listen, if you, said, if you said yes today, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand. And I'm, but I'm going to ask everyone here to join in with me and pray with those that said yes today. And we're just going to join in with them. And it's just going to be a big choir to heaven as we take their hands and put it in and put them in Jesus' hands. Would you pray this right after me? Would you pray this right after me? Say this, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart thank you for doing what I could not do, living a perfect life, yet dying in my place for my sin, yet rising from the dead for my victory. And thank you for giving me the benefit of that victory, which is a relationship with you and eternal life.
So in response to that, I give you all of me, not a compartmentalized version, all of me. It's all on the table, but I lay that down so I can get all of you, and I receive all of you today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Lifehouse fam, can we just give it up for all those that said yes today? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.